0: morning. I'm going to be reading from God's Word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. You're welcome to turn there if you like. Philippians 2 and verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will soon come. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on me and not only on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. God bless his word to our hearts this morning. I read that St. Bede's Episcopal Church in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that uh, in that church there is only one door into the sanctuary, and over that door is a hand-lettered sign that reads Servant's Entrance. One door, Servant's Entrance. It's a good reminder of a vital biblical truth that everyone who enters the Church of Christ must enter and continue as a servant of Jesus Christ devoted to lifelong service to him as master and Lord. In Christ's church, there are no non-serving Christians. Paul has, of course, just appealed in this passage to Christ's example in chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Christ is the very embodiment of servanthood and self-denying love. And therefore, he is the ultimate standard for the way that Christians ought to relate to one another. But then Paul goes on in these verses before us to draw attention to the example of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, whom he commends as worthy human examples of selfless servanthood, which every Christian is called to imitate in Christ's church. As such, this morning we want to see how this passage shows us three aspects of servanthood. The main three points will be a servant's heart, a servant's hardship, and a servant's honor. First of all, every Christian is called to cultivate a servant's heart. Christians must never forget that their Savior did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Therefore, every Christian is called to imitate their Savior's servant's heart. You know what Jesus said after washing his disciples' feet. Now that I, your servant and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And on another occasion he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. But because much selfishness remains in the best of Christians, we must each work hard, by God's grace, to cultivate the heart of a Christ-like servant. Well, what does such a heart look like? Paul draws attention to at least two characteristics in Timothy and Epaphroditus. First of all, a servant's heart is centered on Jesus Christ. Centered on Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 21 that, unlike many others, Timothy was not seeking after his own interests, but those of Jesus Christ. Christ was the focal point of Timothy's life and ministry. servant's heart is to be centered on Jesus Christ, but how could a person know if his or her heart is centered on Jesus Christ? Well, at least three attitudes will be evident. Servants that are centered on Jesus Christ are willing to be, first of all, sent anywhere. It couldn't have been easy for Timothy, whom Paul intended to send to the Philippians in verse 19, to leave the side of his beloved father in the faith, verse 22 to leave Paul behind, but he was willing to go if it was God's will. In a similar manner, it couldn't have been easy for Epaphroditus to leave the church that he loved, verse 26, in order to journey to Rome, but he had done it, and he would make the hard trip back as well, though it would mean leaving the apostle Paul alone. Servants centered on the Lord Jesus Christ are at the Lord's disposal, willing to go wherever the Lord wants them to go. Then, too, they are willing to serve anyone. Timothy served the great apostle Paul, but he was just as willing to go and serve the Philippian church, verse 19 and following. So, too, Epaphroditus served the Philippian church, but he was just as willing, verse 25, to minister to the needs of one man in chains. Theirs was the spirit of Philip, who, though he was being used by God to reach multitudes in Samaria, yet was willing to leave a successful and fruitful field of endeavor to minister to one man on a desert road, if the master so willed. Servants centered on Jesus Christ are available to serve wherever and whomever their Lord wills. And then servants centered on Jesus Christ are willing to sacrifice anything, Paul says of Timothy in verses 20 and 21, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, Timothy had completely given up his own interests. Now all of his interests were bound up in Jesus Christ and everything associated with him. So too Epaphroditus showed in verse 30, He was willing even to give up his own life, if needed, in service to his Lord. They shared Paul's view, which he expressed to the Ephesian elders, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace." Servants centered on Jesus Christ are available to their Lord. They're willing to sacrifice anything to serve wherever and whomever their Lord directs. Are you willing to give up your desires, your ambitions, your comforts, your time, your money, your energy, to live a life that centers on serving the Lord Jesus Christ? It's important to emphasize that our service must focus must enter unto Lord Jesus Christ, because if you have any other motive behind your service, you will burn out. You will burn out because of the incessant demands. You'll burn out and be hurt by people that mistreat you. You will grow weary of the hardships that you will have to endure. If you are serving for any other reason, Then out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for you and for your sins, you will find serving undesirable and even impossible. A servant's heart is captivated first and foremost by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he looks out for his interests, not his own. So every Christian is called to cultivate a servant's heart. And one characteristic of that heart is that it is centered on Jesus Christ. Which is seen in a willingness to be sent anywhere, serve anyone, and sacrifice anything. A second characteristic of a servant's heart is that it puts others ahead of himself. Puts others ahead of himself. Again, Epaphroditus had been willing to spend himself, verse 30. He was indifferent to even the mere fatal, near fatal impact on his own health in order to serve the interests of others. In serving Christ of Timothy, Paul says in verse 20 and 21, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In Christ-like selflessness, they did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, they valued others above themselves, not looking to their own interests but to the interests of others. A servant's heart puts others ahead of himself for the sake of Christ. But how can you tell if you are putting others ahead of yourselves? Well, there are at least three telltale signs. One telltale sign is a heartfelt love. Paul notes Epaphroditus' love for the Philippians in verse 26. How he longed for them. How distressed he was that He was causing them concern because of his illness. And notice that Paul doesn't chide Epaphroditus for feeling this way, even though later he will say very emphatically, Christians are not to be anxious about anything. Pastors aren't called to be indifferent or unfeeling, never showing any emotion, tenderness, affection, tears, concern, even distress. Such a requirement would make love mechanical and shallow and hollow and cold. And that's not the love of the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. This is how we know what love is, says John Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. A telltale sign you're putting others ahead of yourself is a heartfelt love. Another telltale sign is genuine concern. Again, in verse 20, Paul could say of Timothy, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Timothy didn't serve because of the benefits he could get from it, because he liked the attention it got him, because he liked being in the limelight, because it advanced his own ambitions. Timothy didn't just go through the motions. No, he was genuinely interested in their welfare, the welfare of others. A telltale sign you're putting others ahead of yourself is genuine concern. And then another is contentment in any role. Contentment in any role. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus worked together harmoniously in the gospel cause. Even though Paul clearly was the leader among them and perhaps the most gifted among them, they did not resent Paul because of it. Paul viewed Timothy like a son, verse 22. But he didn't belittle him. He esteemed Timothy for his maturity in Jesus Christ, verses 20 and following. Clearly counted him as an equal, naming him as a co-sender of six of his epistles. Likewise, Paul viewed Epaphroditus, verse 25, as a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Every Christian is called to cultivate a servant's heart one which is centered on Jesus Christ puts others ahead of ourselves, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. But then secondly, every Christian is called to endure a servant's hardships. A servant's hardships. Serving Christ is not meant to be a life of ease. Indeed, verse 25, we find Paul calls Epaphroditus, my fellow Worker, don't miss that. Serving Christ is work. Paul also calls Epaphroditus in verse 25, my fellow soldier. Serving Christ is warfare. We're on a battlefield. We're fighting a bitter enemy. We're not lounging in a spiritual hot tub. Don't we love to sing the words of Isaac Watts? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this world vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight. If I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Paul also speaks in verse 22 of Timothy's proven worth. Timothy has proved himself, says Paul. The word means approved by testing. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 5 where he says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, the same word, proven character. Just as soldiers must go through boot camp in order to learn how to endure the hardships they're sure to encounter on the battlefield and prove what they're made of. So Timothy was tested and approved. Such testing or hardship in Christian service may come from many sources. And I'll mention two of the more obvious briefly. One source of hardship is persecution, both from outside and from within. Paul, of course, was in chains due to persecution from his own countrymen. He was also under attack, he tells us, from within, from those who preached the gospel, from envy and selfish ambition. Alexander McLaren wrote, Many a professing Christian life has a veneer of godliness nailed thinly over a solid bulk of selfishness. Of course, it's especially difficult to bear the attacks of those that come from within the flock. We expect the world to be against us, but not our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's the hardship of persecution, both from outside and from within. Another source of hardship is the work itself. The work itself, among the many hardships that Paul, as Christ's servants, had to endure, and the list is awesome, persecutions, bodily harm, near-death incidents. He says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Epaphroditus displays a similar concern in verse 26, even to the point of being willing to risk his life on behalf of the church, verse 30. So we must not be surprised, but prepared for hardships as we are involved in serving Jesus Christ. Because remember, Paul has already said back in chapter 1 and verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. For him. Well, what encouragements are there for going through hardships? If we cultivate a servant's heart and endure a servant's hardship, then we will receive a servant's honor. Paul here in verse 19 honors Timothy. He does so by sending him as his own representative. And he honors Epaphroditus by his commendation and by telling the whole church in verse 29 to honor men like him. And God has seen fit to honor both of them by ensuring that their names and their reputations and their deeds would be recorded and preserved in his own written word. For every succeeding generation to consider and imitate as illustrations of those whom God delights to honor. And while servants don't seek to honor, to bring honor to themselves, it's their Lord who they desire to honor. He alone is worthy. Nevertheless, God graciously promises, those who honor me, I will honor. I'm sure you all know the story of Robert Murray McShane, that he had a motto for his Christian life, live so as to be missed, live so as to be missed. He did, and he was. On the day of his death at age 29, Andrew Bonner, his friend and fellow minister and biographer, wrote, Never, never, yet in all my life have I felt anything like this. My heart is sore. Life has lost half its joys, were it not the hope of saving souls. For the rest of his life, Bonner celebrated that day, March 25th, as an anniversary. And 30 years later, after a visit to the churchyard where McShane was buried, Bonner would write, There is still some peculiar fragrance in the air around Robert McShane's tomb. Ask yourself, will anyone miss me when I'm gone? Not because of your preaching, though all of us need to strive to be as good as we can be in God's hands and with those gifts that he's given us to, to preach God's word effectually to his people. Nevertheless, will, will I be missed when I'm gone because I am a selfless Christian, a selfless pastor, a selfless co-laborer, because I took a genuine interest in the welfare of others, because I looked out for the interests of Jesus Christ and not my own, because I was to others the very fragrance of Jesus Christ. Will anyone miss me? May God help each of us to seek to live and serve so as to be missed. Amen.